Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Ephesians 6, 1 through 4. Let me pray, and we will, we will get to work on Ephesians 6, 1 through 4. Lord God, you, from this text, Father, you show us, Lord, that you care about our well-being and that you desire us to, to be well. You desire that it would go well with us. And that is your heart. That is your intention. That is what you have designed for your children, that it would go well with them. And Lord, this isn't health, wealth, prosperity, gospel stuff. This is gospel stuff. This is your heart for your people. You desire wellness for them. And Lord, you have called us to something really simple, but really profound. And I pray, Lord God, that you would speak to us, not just parents right now who are struggling to raise kids with all of the demands that parenting brings with it, with all of the confusions, with all of the heartaches, with all of the exhaustion, and even joys, for sure. Lord, for all of us, Lord, all of us have been parented or maybe lacked parenting at one point in our lives. All of us have had parents, whether good or bad. So I pray, Lord, that there would be a word here tonight for every single one of us. We ask that you would speak to us, Lord God, and teach us what it means to be your people. Open up your word to us. Give us eyes to see new things and wondrous things from your law. And as Matt prayed, Father, may we be transformed even just a slight more bit into the image of Christ. So use this time, we pray, for your good, for our good, for your glory, and the advancement of your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray all these things. Amen. Let me ask you this. What is our most valuable asset in our homes and in our churches? And as we continue our, our series on making disciples, I want to suggest that godly parenting is one of the most crucial avenues of disciple-making that impacts the life of your child, that impacts even your own souls as a parent. And it impacts the life of the church and it impacts society at large. Thus, to answer my question that I raised at the beginning, what is the most valuable asset in our homes and in our churches? I don't know if we can really pin that down to one thing. But perhaps, in light of God's kingdom, the most valuable asset that we have is our children, who we get to invest in, who we get to teach the, the truths of Scripture to, who, are we, who we are held accountable by. And we're held accountable by our children in a thousand different ways, are we not? And these are the children that we disciple to become followers of Jesus Christ. Children truly are the next generation of the church and the kingdom of God. And thus, it is a tremendous privilege and a tremendous responsibility to make sure that we pass on our faith to them and model Christ's likeness to them. So let me raise and answer three questions for us as we get into Ephesians 6, 1 through 4. First, why does Paul go to the Old Testament and quote from the Ten Commandments? He does this in Ephesians 6, 2. 
So why does Paul do this? Second, if what Paul is saying here, if you really look at it, it's very, very simple. Children, obey your parents. Parents, love your kids. <laughs> Wonderfully simple. Yet, it's not. And why is that exactly? Why does so much domestic life and family life, and even through the Old Testament, this model kind of in some ways failed? And third, why does Paul single out fathers and address provoking your children to anger as all the things that he could address? Why does he single in on fathers and why does he talk about provoking children to anger? So let's start with the first question. Why does Paul quote the Ten Commandments or from the Ten Commandments? Why does he do this? Now, Paul says something really revolutionary here when he says, children obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. Honor your father and your mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. That's Ephesians 6, 1-3. Now, what is so revolutionary about that? It doesn't sound revolutionary at all. You wouldn't look at that and say, wow, that's just groundbreaking. That's revolutionary. Well, let me explain this. It's revolutionary because he is actually talking to kids. That's why it's revolutionary. He's actually talking to kids. He's talking to children, and he's treating them as humans. Now this, again, this doesn't sound revolutionary, but it is. In Roman society, women would have ranked under men. They would have been second-class citizens. Thankfully, that's not the case anymore. And children would have even been under that. So in a society, the Roman society, children would have had no rights. And in some commentators, they actually said that it actually should read or it could potentially read children, or, or um, sorry, boys. Boys, obey your parents. Because even between boys and girls, boys would have been valued just a little bit higher than girls. But here, Paul rightfully claims children, obey your parents in the Lord. So children had no rights in Roman society. And that's why this is so revolutionary the Romans did have, you see, a strict household code. They did see a well-ordered house as key to a well-ordered society. Yes, this is true. However, the difference between a Christian household and what Roman society put forth couldn't have been more different. Thus, it was expected that children in the Roman context would be obedient to their parents. In fact, it was demanded. So what is interesting about this is that Paul here is, oh, I'm sorry, what's so interesting about what Paul does here isn't that he affirms what the Romans would affirm, namely, children obey your parents. Rather, what is so interesting is that he appeals to the motives of a child and he treats them as an equal to their parents under the Lord. Do you see that? Paul puts children and parents on equal footing because they're both under God. This is revolutionary. At this time, this would have been totally unheard of. And what Paul does is he appeals to the motive of the child and he gives them a theological reason as to why. Why they should obey their parents. Because there's incentive for you, child. Children. There's good reason for you to obey your parents. I'm looking at some kids around here. There are. Maybe I should focus in on my own kids. Should I do that? 
We even had a tussle today, coming over to church. Somebody didn't take the dog for a walk today. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, right? Anyway, no, no, we don't have any problems at our house. I'm the pastor. But God gives you children. He gives you theological reason. And God Almighty appeals to the mind and the heart and the will of a child. This is amazing. Rome would not have treated their children that way. They would have simply said, obey. That's all all there is to it, right? But here in God's kingdom, children, you have reason to obey your parents. There's good incentive. Um, So he quotes from the Old Testament. And this is the incentive, if we can build on that. Exodus 20, 12. Honor your father and mother, that your days may be long in the land that that the Lord your God is giving you. So there you see, Paul is quoting from the Old Testament. He's quoting from the Ten Commandments. Now consider the context of Exodus 20 with me, if you will, right? What do we know about Exodus 20 and the Ten Commandments? Well, the Israelites were God's chosen people. The Israelites um, were considered God's treasured possession, as it says in Exodus 19. Right? They have just been led out of the land of Egypt, out from underneath the captivity of the Pharaoh. So they were slaves for 400 years. They were led out of Egypt. And right before they're about to take the promised land that God had promised them, He kind of pulls them aside and he gives them his law, the Ten Commandments. And he speaks to his people. Basically, they are being prepped for life in the land. Now, when they were taking the land, don't think of this in terms of rocks and soil and dirt and mountains and grass. This was the space. This was the place where God's people were going to be and live under God's rule where they were going to demonstrate for the nations around them what it was like to be ruled by the living God. So when God pulls his people aside in Exodus 20 and gives them the Ten Commandments, he's saying, you know what? I want you to be God's people. I want you to show what it's like to be a part of the kingdom of God. This is going to be God's people in God's place under God's rule. That's why land in the Bible, in the Old Testament, when God promises them land, this is why it's so important, because he's establishing his kingdom, you see, with his people. And notice, notice this, that the commandment was the fifth commandment, but it was the first horizontal commandment. What is that all about? Well, the first four of the Ten Commandments were vertical. Namely, they spoke to how God's people would relate to God directly. But the next six, number five, six, seven, eight, and so on, they were talking about how people would relate to each other. And the first of those horizontal commands started in with children and their parents and the relationship within the household. That tells us something, you see. It tells us that in the wisdom of God, he was reforming the family dynamic first and foremost because God saw that as foundational to shaping the people of God. And he saw the people of God being shaped the correct way as foundational to shaping the nations of the world. So really, when you look at the relationship between parent and child, it has implications not just for your home, 
It has implications not for just for your church and for God's people, but it has imp- implications for the nations around you. And I think Paul is tapping into that. He only offers four short verses in Ephesians 6, but really, he plugs what he is saying into the iceberg of what the Old Testament already says and already affirms about family. And he shows that when you add the gospel of Jesus Christ, family is radically transformed. When you put in the gospel of Jesus Christ, family and all the relationships within family, all relationships, period, are radically transformed. Suddenly, children are now on equal footing with their parents. Not to say that children, there isn't a, a role distinction between children being, or oh, I'm sorry, parents being in authority and children being submissive to their parents. Roles are not the same as equal, equality and significance, right? But as human beings, Paul is putting children on equal footing with their parents. Now, like I said before, the Romans would say to children, you must obey your parents because you are the lowest ranking individuals. But Paul appeals to children as fellow image bearers of God. And when he says, obey your parents in the Lord, what he's saying to you children is, when you obey your parents, you are obeying God and you're responding to God in faith. What Paul is essentially saying here is that this, children, is your opportunity, your key opportunity to respond to God. And that's an amazing thing, that you, child, in this Roman culture, you have no rights, but in the kingdom of God, you are infinitely valuable. And you too are a worshiper, you are created in the image of God. So that's point number one. This is what Paul refers to the Old Testament for. He builds a pretty big and deep theology of family by doing this. Now, number two, it all seems so simple. And if it is so simple, why does it fail? Where does it break down? Why does it break down when it does? Now, to answer that question, I would just say pretty simply because of sin. It fails, family fails, and family struggles because of sin. What could be so difficult, you might ask, about children obeying their parents and parents loving their kids? It seems pretty straightforward, especially when there's so much great reward at stake. Well, sin causes people to have children out of wedlock. Sin confuses gender and gender roles. And sin confuses and obfuscates what marriage is really all about. Sin destroys marriages, and it destroys covenants. Sin leads children to pursue their own way, just like their parents desire their own ways. When sin takes root in a culture, it leads people, including educators and psychologists, who are the experts, to rationalize and almost condone children acting in disobedience to their parents, to separate the influence of parents over their kids. 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 2. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to parents. Do you see that? It's on the list. Paul talks and describes the last days, which I think we're in the period of the last days now between the first and second coming of Christ. 
He describes this time as a time where children will be disobedient to their parents. Romans 1, 28 through 30, And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what they ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to their parents. Really? You're going to put disobedient to their parents on the same list with murder and all of these other things? You see the way that Paul thinks about this and the way that the New Testament thinks about this. But really, when you think about it, life without the Spirit of God and life without the gospel of Jesus Christ is marked by this sort of thing. Human sin takes a simple structure for society and it greatly complicates it. The New Testament teaches us that it is that as easy as it sounds for kids to obey parents and for parents to love their kids, we actually need the forgiveness of Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. And how does Ephesians teach us this? How does Ephesians teach us that we actually need and children need and parents need the power of the Holy Spirit in order to function as the family that God desires us to function as? Well, it's not as obvious because it doesn't say anything about the Spirit in Ephesians 6, 1 through 4. But if you really understand the way that this section of Scripture is constructed, we'll go back to Ephesians 5, 18 through 21. Grammatically, this section in Ephesians takes its force from 5, 18 through 21 which says this, do not get drunk with wine for that is debauchery, but what? Be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. But the key controlling verb in this whole section is this, be filled with the Spirit. And then from there, there are three contexts that are given. One is marriage, husbands and wives. Number two is family, children and parents. And number three is perhaps we could call this the work relationship, bond servants and masters. And all of those things, what, the Paul, what Paul is saying, what Paul is suggesting is that you must be filled with the Spirit in order for wives to submit to their husbands and husbands to love their wives, in order for children to obey their parents, in order for parents to love their children, in order for bondservants and masters to function the way that Christ calls them to. The power of the Holy Spirit is needed. Be filled with the Spirit. You see that? And another thing that we could say about this is that one of the best indications that children are born of the Spirit is whether or not they obey their parents. Because it is, when you, when you really look at it, and this is perhaps truer as they age and as they get a little bit older, but it's not how many Bible verses they put on their Instagram accounts. It's not how many mission trips they go to or how many youth group events they can attend. Really, the best litmus test for determining whether or not you are filled with the Spirit is whether or not you obey your parents in the Lord. Because that is what, that, that's the litmus test that Paul gives in Ephesians. And here's an interesting quote from Herman Bavink. We find, we find that the Christian faith brought peace to many a heart and returned love to many a home. Christianity did not overthrow the natural ordinances and institutions. That means Paul didn't upend uh, the institution of family. 
He didn't upend the institution of family. Christianity did not overthrow the natural ordinances and institutions, but infused a new spirit in them, reforming them from within. It did not liberate wives from their husbands or children from their parents or servants from their masters or workers from their vocations or subjects from the state. But Christianity made for better wives and children, manservants and maidservants, workers and citizens, and led them back to their respective relationships. Here's the key phrase. Christianity provided spiritual liberation and precisely in that way recreated earthly relationships. It's amazing. Christianity truly did create family as we even, and I think in America, know today. One, of, one who was called as a servant remained a servant, but became a freeman in the Lord. And one who was called as a freeman became a bondservant of Christ. Precisely through this preaching of obedience and love, Christianity performed miracles. The reality of kids being on, say, equal footing under God with their parents really is a Christian fruit. It truly is amazing how Christianity and the gospel of Jesus Christ totally transformed our homes, totally, totally transformed what the household is, what parenting is, and what, what being a child is, uh, is all about. Okay, so we need the power of the Spirit. And without it, we cannot truly have the Christian home that we desire to have or that God calls us to have. A third question. Why does Paul single out fathers? Now, Paul doesn't single out fathers because he is sexist, all right? The term could refer to parents. In fact, in fact you'll probably see it's the opposite of that. He likely, uh, so the, the term could refer to both parents, but I think in this context, is, he's right to point out fathers, right? And I think that he would likely single out fathers because fathers had absolute control in their families in the ancient world. Now, parents were viewed almost as gods to their children, and fathers had legal right to be as harsh as they wished with them. That would have been totally just in the Roman context. Um, in fact, it, you know, it was fathers who determined whether or not their newborn had the right to live or not. They actually had the choice at their birth whether or not to keep them or abort them, essentially. And fathers could and did sell their children, especially their girls, into slavery. This is the kind of culture that the New Testament was written into. This is the kind of culture that Ephesians 6, 1 through 4 was written into. So you can start to see why Paul singles out fathers, right, in this context. And perhaps this is why, out of all the instructions that Paul could have given, he chooses to warn them against provoking their children to anger. Fathers, don't provoke your children to anger. So while he calls children to a standard, he also calls parents to a standard too. And again, this would have been revolutionary. The parents wouldn't have any standards. We can do whatever we want. No, actually, you're under God too. And you have to respond to God as well, just like your children do. Now, given the nature of men and the importance of the father in the life of a child, perhaps Paul warns against the key way dads and moms will blow it with their kids and turn their hearts away from you and away from God. Parents, do you realize that by, by provoking your children to anger, you have the power to turn your children's hearts away from you, and you also have the power to turn your children's hearts away from God? That's something that we have to consider 
Provoking your child to anger is the exact opposite or the antithesis, perhaps, of bringing up your children in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. The discipline and instruction can be described as feeding. Feed your children, not just put food on the table. All of us as parents, we desire to feed our kids with good, healthy food. Right? We should feed our children, but this is also feeding their souls, feeding their minds with truth, nurturing their development. This is quite the opposite of bludgeoning them, right? Provoking them to anger and getting them to do what we want them to do. Even though parents are not to be harsh with their children, it doesn't mean that godly parents allow them to do whatever they wish. And this is something we should consider. The, Bible, the biblical idea of parenting is discipline. And children, you see, are sinners who need to be saved from, their, from themselves, from their own desires. So it doesn't mean that, or what I should say is the opposite of not provoking your child to anger. It doesn't mean that you just let them do whatever they want. It's discipline is still required. And parents still must employ the standards, standards of obedience in their homes. It means it's right and it's good for parents to raise the bar and expect that children will obey and train them to obey. And this is good, even though they require the Holy Spirit. And parents, remember that. Do you remember, do you realize that your children actually need the Holy Spirit to obey? That they need the Holy Spirit to obey, even though you can, st you can, you can expect that. But remember that they are limited as well, just like you are. Parents must, yeah, so you have to employ the standard of, of obedience. And parents must nurture their ch child's faith in God by attending their needs, by creating an environment of grace, of love and support, and teaching them, warning them, discipling them in the ways of God. So let me offer some conclusions. Now that we've answered these questions, why does Paul look at the Old Testament? Why is this harder than it looks? And why does he address fathers? Let me offer some, uh, some concluding thoughts here, some points of application. Um, number one, ask God to fill you with the Spirit so that you can accomplish this. Parents, do you realize your need of the Spirit of God to fulfill your call and your fulfill your role as, as, as parents? This is a task, that, it's a tall task, is it not? And children, pray that your children will be filled with the Spirit too, that they would know God, that they would know Christ, that they'd be born again, and that they would have joy in obeying you, and that they would understand that their obedience to you is ultimately obedience to God. And this is perhaps where maybe I want to say something to everybody in the room, even if you're not actively in the fire or in the trenches of raising kids right now, Examine your own upbringing and the example your parents modeled. Have you forgiven your parents for where they have wronged you? Have you adopted any of their ungodly patterns and assimilated them and synthesized them into your life and into your parenting? Have you used their model and your experience as the baseline for parenting convictions? And what I mean there is... You don't necessarily use the Bible as the standard. You just kind of refer to, well, this is the way I grew up. It worked for me. does just fine. That's, there's a difference between that and what God calls you to as a parent, right? But have you forgiven your parents? 
right? None of our parents are perfect, and none of us as parents are perfect. And we can have a lot more grace for our parents, right, as we start raising our own kids. And kids, do you have grace for your parents, realizing they're just humans, right? But have you found forgiveness and have you extended forgiveness to them? Only God can really heal you from hurts. And those hurts, I know, can last through a lifetime. You can carry those with you for a long time. And only Jesus can really release you from that. So I encourage you to do some exploration there of your soul and consider where you need really the forgiveness of Christ so that you can let go and truly forgive your parents. Fathers and mothers, read through the 25 ways that you can provoke your child to anger. I put them in your bulletin insert, and you know what? I specifically chose orange to create this sensation of warning. (laughs) Put it on your refrigerator, and every time you go grab a soda, read one or two of those things and let it help you and let it instruct you so that you are aware of what it means to provoke your child to anger. You could ask yourself or maybe wonder, what does it mean? How do I provoke my children to anger? There might be some obvious ways, but there might be lots of less obvious ways that you might be guilty of this. So this is a helpful, instructive thing, I think, that uh, we found from Lou Priolo, and I wanted to put it into your hands, right? Wherever you choose to put it in your home, whether you choose the refrigerator or wherever it is, um, I hope that this helps you and I hope this serves you. Ask your children to read them from time to time and enlist their feedback. Now, I'm going to ask you guys, I'm going to encourage you to create an environment in your home where your children actually know what your job requirements are. Do your kids know what God expects of you as parents? Do they know? Have you trained them? Have you instructed them in this? And have you enlisted their insights on, on these things so that when they can see, hey, dad, you're provoking me to anger, <laughs> that I can see that and I can repent of it. So I want to encourage you to actually train your child. Part of your training of your children, I would suggest to you, is actually educating them on what God requires of you as a parent so that they can be an accountability partner in that. Okay. Okay. Here's another one. Beware of being more eager to hold your kids accountable to Ephesians 6.1 than you are to hold yourself accountable to Ephesians 6.4. Right? Remember, there is Ephesians 6.1, children obey your parents in the Lord. And it's easy to wrap that one off. Children obey your parents in the Lord. You know, kids, maybe you should fire back. Don't provoke me to anger. <laughs> Actually, don't do that, kids. <clears throat> I just realized um, I might have just put a, a seed of, of uh, doubt here. I'm going to have some counseling cases on my hands this week. Um, no, but really, parents, I'm serious about this. Do you spend as much time thinking and meditating and understanding how you might be guilty of Ephesians 6.4? Or are you more pressed down, hunkering down on your kids, making sure they're obeying Ephesians 6.1? Hold yourself to the same standard that you're holding your kids to. And you might even be guilty of provoking your child to anger and pointing out how your kids are failing to obey the Lord, right? Um, We could have this spirit, we could have the wrong spirit of how Paul wants us to actually fulfill or how Paul wants our children to fulfill Ephesians 6.1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. 
There's the Roman way, and then there's the kingdom of God way. The Roman way is, you know what? You're annoying me. Obey. And the kingdom of God way is child, my son, my daughter. Do you know what? God holds out wonderful blessings for obeying, for obedience. And it is for your good, not mine. It is for your good, first and foremost, that you obey your parents, that you do so with a joyful heart, and that you do so in reverence to God and as, a, as part of your worship to God. So first and foremost, appeal to their, to their benefit and what the fruits are that comes with them. And also, yes, it will go well with your household when you train your children to obey you, right? Let me tell you this, for what it's worth, I have a 16-year-old, a 14-year-old, and a 12-year-old. And I can tell you this, in my limited parenting experience, I'm looking out here and I'm realizing there's a lot of people that are like, that's nothing, right? Because you have some years on me and you have some experience on me for sure. But I can tell you this in my limited experience, that... Can I, can I tell you this? What I think the most effective parenting strategy is, do you know what that is, in my opinion? I think the most effective parenting strategy, and if you don't get anything right, get this right. Let them see your need for the gospel. And let them see your need for the power of the Holy Spirit. Nothing warms your children to their need for Christ as much as when they see that you see your need for Christ. We are creatures of habit. We are creatures who watch people and we do. And when we as parents never show our need for Christ, we're essentially training our kids, I don't need Jesus. I don't need forgiveness. I got this. And your kids will be the first to tell you, no, you don't. How many of us as parents can stand here and say, yeah, I didn't, I didn't fail this week as a parent. I didn't sin against my child. No, I never do. I'm begging you guys, please create an environment in your homes where your children can hold you accountable and they would feel free to say, Dad, you were off. And where you can go to your kids and say, you know what, I'm sorry. I need Christ. I need the forgiveness of Christ. I am... I am a failure in many ways. I'm a sinner. And just like I am pressing on your need for Christ, I am the chief needer of Christ. And I really believe that your parent or that your kids will see the gospel in a very, what's the word? They will want it. They will be endeared to it. And if you've never done that, I encourage you, go to your kids and have that. No matter how old they are, you know what? I have failed you and I'm sorry. I've sinned against you in many ways. Is there anything that we need to get squared away? I encourage you to have those conversations with your kids. And children, let me speak to you specifically. Children, you have a great response before God. You have this opportunity it is not drudgery to obey your parents. God requires this of you. God is asking you to this. And it is life for you. Remember that. It is life for you. 
And when we fail, when you fail, this is a gospel opportunity. When you fail to obey your parents, see it not as just, oh, I didn't listen to my mom or my dad, right? But see it as an opportunity. I need Christ. I need the forgiveness of Christ. Hold your kids to biblical standards of obedience. Vodi Bauckham says this, do what I say, when I say it, with a respectful attitude. Anything less than that is not a biblical standard of obedience. Yes, the bar is set high, but the bar is set high because we need to see our need for Christ. And we need, again, the power of the Holy Spirit. But when our kids do what we ask them to do and they roll their eyes, okay, I'll take out the trash. You know what? That's not with a respectful attitude and that is sin against your parents. You have sinned against your parents and you've sinned against God. You're rebelling against the living God. Do you realize that? When your parents ask you to get off the screen or whatever and you kind of just take another five minutes and then it gets to the point where, get off the screen! You've created a home and you've created a situation of turmoil and strife. And you've also sinned against your parents. Children, learn to obey your parents because you are obeying God and you are responding to God and this is your worship of God. And parents, don't let anything less than that do. Hold your children to that standard because that's where the gospel comes in. And this is not a condemning thing. This is not condemnation. This is opportunity for grace in your household. This is opportunity for grace. Yes, the bar is high, but grace fills the gap every time. Say, yes, I know, I know, I know you didn't obey me. And I invite you to repent and I invite you to say, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? Encourage your children to do that too. Mom, dad, will you please forgive me? Train your children to say, I have sinned, will you forgive me? Yes, I forgive you. Acknowledge your faults, not as aberrations, but as sin before God, for which we need forgiveness, right? So this is opportunity for grace to be gentle, to approach each other as fellow sinners. And paint a picture of expectation on them. Enlist your children in the vision of the home. Put a vision in front of your family, dads, moms. Put a vision that you will pursue in your home. What kind of home do you want to live in, my child? Do you want to live in a home where Jesus reigns? Where God is sitting, seated on his throne, where we worship him? Well, that's what it's going to look like. And here's your part, and here's my part. Put a vision in front of your family and constantly call them to this vision so that they know, hey, you know what? This isn't just about obedience or this is not just about them kicking me off the screens and so on and so forth. This is about pursuing God together in our home and that my obedience and my love of my kids and my not exasperating them and not provoking them to anger, this is the way that we worship and this is the way our family becomes an embassy of the kingdom of God. So I encourage you, put a vision in front of your family constantly. And I call dads especially to this. Moms as well. Constantly drive your family to this vision so that everyone's bought in and everyone has a sense of this is what our family is about. 
Our family is about worshiping Jesus and enthroning him upon over our household so that he reigns supreme. And that they would see the benefits. Pray then that, he would, that, that your children would see the benefits of what it looks like for Jesus to rule your home. Do you see how well this goes when you listen and when you obey? When dad repents, this is what it looks like. Our family, when Christ reigns supreme in our household. Oh, that's a sweet taste in their mouths. What kid would not want to be a part of a kingdom where a king is ruling in that way? So I want to encourage us to that. By so doing, you will turn your home into an embassy of God's kingdom and you will grow as a disciple of Christ as you make disciples for the glory of Christ. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much for your word to us. And I just pray, Lord God, that you would use it and take it and build faith in our hearts. Establish our homes in your truth. Lord, where there's forgiveness that's needed, I pray you would provide it. We know it's there, available to us in the cross of Christ. And we just ask, Lord God, for every way that we fail and every way that we sin, Lord God, that the vacuum would be filled with grace, much grace. And we just pray, Lord God, that as we make disciples in our home and as we utilize that space for that purpose, Lord, would you build our church to be strong and would you build this church to be a light into the community and would you build your church, the, the church, Lord God, to spill into the nations and show the, the goodness of what it means to be children of King Jesus. So please go before us and please help us. In Jesus' name we ask all these things. Amen.